Daniel, Mike, team previews roll on. Who we got with us tonight? I just want to be clear. He had the opportunity to big time us, Joey. Mm-hmm. We weren't expecting him to because of the kind of guy that he is. I tend to think he needed a warm up. He's yeah. So to warm up for tonight's podcast, he just went on ACC PM with Mark Packer this afternoon. So Dan Rubin. BCEagles.com, Eagles Unlimited. What's going on? We're talking Boston College. I mean, anytime you can, anytime you could step in the quicksand for a little bit after you know you get that high of rolling with, of rolling with the ACC network, and you know now I'm gonna I'm gonna close out my night by hanging with you guys. Is there anything better? I don't know. Maybe I'm big timing Mark Packer by putting him first so I can come on with you guys at night. <laughs> well, coming on after all the kids go to bed, I mean, that's we, we, we talked about this basically being a dad therapy session uh, now that we've, we've gotten yeah. to that point in our podcasting lives. But we'll spare all the listeners from that that nightmare they'll have to listen through. <laughs> I, I will say this. Credit credit my wife, who is fast asleep right now as we record this. But uh, she now listen, going going on national television was like that was the that was the all time thrill of a lifetime. I'm not going to lie. She got the picture of pointing at the screen going at our daughter who's that on tv and like with the back of her head and it's a great picture but the answer was i want bluey so <laughs> <laughs> so we I don't got know this great better picture. or worse i don't know if that's better yeah. or worse than if she had said mark packer <laughs> <laughs> no nope, she wanted bluey she did not want to watch dad that was that was my. It was. It was. It was my all time. This is my dad therapy session. This is, this is what we do, guys. I want Bluey. Relatable. If we show. could. If we could only be so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this show is a little different than when the three of us were doing it six years ago. For what that's worth, but I'll in say, any case, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I had the show. I know we. I know we're trying to like not roll on, but I am. I am proud to be the one that actually came on for the show. Uh, after a, I had the first post bachelor party show, yeah, you did. You that did. was fun. Mike shouldn't have been podcasting that week. <laughs> I, that was the first time I formally met Joey, and we hit record. And my oh my, uh, we put every single every single disclaimer out there we could that you know we can't be re- held responsible for things that come out of our mouth. Fun fact, I was uh, I was unemployed at the time, and I like went you know we got home and I was like editing the show and I was like, should I be posting this or should we just like let it die like let it go away? And uh, I posted it, and then sure enough, I was in an interview and somebody was like, oh yeah, like by the way, I found your podcast. You know, I have listed on my resume, and I was like, you you listened to anything other than the last episode we posted, right? <laughs> And then I got the job. So, hey, like, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. So, Dan, on that note... Uh, they should Boston go back College. and listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bachelor party episode. Yeah. <laughs> on February, second thought, thanks March for everything. 21. Yeah, that was yeah. fun. That was fun. 
Uh, Dan, let's talk about Boston College going into 2023. And we'll start, as always, talking about the, the coach. And, and for those unaware, uh, Dan does work for bceagles.com as, as a part of the Boston College Athletic Department. Um, so we'll try to, you know, we'll try to tune these questions a little bit, you know, as necessary. But looking at Jeff Halfley, Dan, going into year four, uh, he started year one in, in the COVID era. Uh, that's kind of a weird time to get started. Six and five, six and six, three and nine so far. Um, certainly last year, you know, year three was kind of a, a disappointment, but you could point to a lot of different reasons that I'm sure we'll start to hit on a little bit here as to kind of what led to that concern uh, or, or what led to that result. But I guess where, where do we stand? Is the fan base, you know, at all restless? Do people kind of understand with where things are? You know, how, how are we feeling about Jeff Halfley? You know, what, what are the expectations for him going into year four here? Well, if anybody says they were happy with last year, um, I want it. I want a cup of their of their optimism. Um, <laughs> I just want, and I, and when I say that, I want a cup of of that of that cheer and joy. I need that in my life. Like last year was not a good year. It was three and nine, two and six in the ACC. You had so, you had a flash uh, here and there of a of a good performance. The win over Louisville, the win over a nationally ranked NC State team that was. I mean, it was great those two games, but outside of that, it was it was a down year, and it was mm-hmm. it was not a good season. And at overall, and there were reasons for it. Uh, so I think I wouldn't say you get a pass for it. You, you definitely don't get a pass. You don't get a free pass for anything. But you get the vote of confidence uh, from your athletic director, and you say, "All right, let's lean." And, and in true Jeff Halfley fashion, they lean into it and say. All right, we need to be better. This is not an acceptable response. This is not an acceptable result. So how are we going to respond? And part of that started showing up at ACC uh, at the ACC kickoff, where they start talking about things like we're playing better as a team. We're spending more time focusing on how to how to develop the team so that this doesn't happen again. Which it look when you're in college football something goes wrong. I, I say it every year during, you know, when we give record predictions is you can't play October until you play September. And if something goes catastrophically wrong in September, it, your entire season is derailed. And pretty much that's what happened. And then, and then I proved to be prophetic Nostradamus on, on the BC football season. So it was, it was a tough year. There's no doubt about it. I, I don't like writing about the, 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 the lack of a bowl game. I don't like the lack of a bowl atmosphere. Uh, when you get to the last game of the season and you're like, Hey, this is, this is it. Like there's nothing beyond this. And, and there's three games left in the season when you reach that point or, or what it is, but it is, it, it, it has to be better. Now from that end, I don't believe, you know, we, we could sit and talk about hot seats or things like that. He look that you get the vote of confidence from your, from your athletic director. That's, that's pretty important. And, and also from a, from a fan standpoint, Attendance, for the most part, didn't overly dwindle from the start of the year. I mean, it fluctuated. you got to remember that Boston College only seats 44,000 people to begin with, which which I know for certain places they talk 80,000, 70,000, whatever it is. But when you're getting thirty to 35,000 people, that place is loud, and it is mm-hmm. cramped, and it is everyone's sitting on top of each other and like that's that's kind of what Boston College has always been. It's 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 smaller. It's way more intimate than the big, you know, eighty ninety thousand seat stadiums, and the students were there 
They were there the whole season. You go to the back, even back to that Syracuse game at the end of the year, they were there the entire time, rooting them on, staying in early, staying through, you know, most of the third and fourth quarter. Uh, they were there. And so, you know, you, those are classmates. That it, it was it was an us against the world mentality. And there's no doubt in my mind that that's going to that's going to start showing up. It seemed like everybody just kind of understood that that was going to be one of those years as as the uh, as the injuries started racking up and the losses went with it. Phil Dracovic gone. Right. And you talk about the injuries that, you know, the team dealt with Phil Dracovic, most important position on the field and. He goes kind of two straight seasons with injuries after a great 2020 where it looked like BC had really found a quarterback. He's gone. Emmett Moorhead is stepping in, we presume, at least beginning the season as a starter. We saw him a bit last year. Seems to be a guy with potential. Huge quarterback, huge guy, 6'5". Dan, I think you said before he hit record 240? Yeah, 235 he's listed at. That is a massive human being. That is a big human being. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm 235. I am not six foot five, though. <laughs> yeah, a, a qualifier there, right? Yeah. Being six foot five. Yeah. Um, I mean, expectations for him. I mean, this is his first opportunity to really seize that full time role. Yeah, and and you know, you talked about flashes. The big one's the NC State game. I mean, he led a comeback to beat NC State on the road against a nationally ranked team. And BC historically has had some trouble with nationally ranked teams uh, through the years over the last uh, you know decade or so I, I would say, but the the fact that he was what he was last year gives you hope and gives you a lot of potential for the future. And the big thing with Emmett Moorhead is trying to find out as he enters the season how can you press him, how can you get him to find his limits as a quarterback and then go through those limits as a quarterback. One of the things that kind of jumped off the page to me last year when he was QB two was at the start of the season was he talked a lot about uh, how he improved and some of the things that he was looking for in the preseason, uh, watching uh, the, the ones go through their motions. And he would talk about how he would swing his hips during the, you know, like he was going through the pass or how he would move his shoulders and his head and, he was like, it is not exciting. If you watch it, it's boring. He was like, it is boring work to go through what he was going through and the things that he was working on. And as he was explaining it, I was picturing it. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is not going to be exciting if anyone has tape on it. It's not even the, who is it, Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott shaking the hips. Uh, you know, it oh, was Prescott, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was literally, I'm going to take a snap and this is how I want to learn how to do it and keep my timing down and go back and look at it. He's the guy right now for that reason. Because when you lose your quarterback last year uh, in, in Dracovic, Moorhead steps in and does well. Now you, you're, you're kind of looking at it and saying, okay, here are your reins. Now the question is, how does he respond? Which, which when you look at what he did, he need he is now going to be challenged to do that on a regular basis, and that is kind of the the difficult part of being a, a full time quarterback is how now you've done it. You were coming in as a replacement as the team was starting to gel finally at the end of the year. Now you're coming in in the second part, which is okay. Can you do it from the beginning? And that's going to be the challenge. That's going to be what you, what you're kind of looking for out of him moving forward. And and you kind of alluded to there there are other candidates in the room there at quarterback, but for now, 
as far as we're concerned going into the season, Emmett Moorhead is the guy for the Eagles. This oh, fall. yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he was at media day. He's your QB one. You, you bring in a transfer in Thomas Castellanos, from, who's a four-star recruit. He's a sophomore. You have a very young quarterback room on top of that all, on top of all of that, where you have, I think your oldest quarterback is a redshirt junior who's never played. Uh, so you've got freshmen, you've got recruits in there. Peter Delaportis from, from uh, New Jersey, Jacoby Robinson, who's a freshman who came in from Henderson, Texas. Uh, but you got to remember that whenever you're playing a freshman anyway, they're never they're never really ready to get in there. Like They're just not seasoned enough. And he's really the only guy with any type of playing time. So you'd be looking at this team, and if you're trying to find who's going to be the guy to press him, we, we don't really know. Uh, you know, when I say we, like look, anyone who's watching this team going into preseason or looking at the roster or whatever, like you don't know what the coaches are thinking on who's going to press who or who they want to see. But I do know that, you know, a guy like Moorhead, you know, you don't want to predict the whole season out of him. You just want to see, okay, as camp gets started, he's your guy, clearly. I mean, he was at at Media Day. He started last year. But how do you how do you challenge him to get better? And that's, I think, the, the key. You never want to sit back on a redshirt sophomore and say, ah, uh, oh, yeah, he's fine. Well, you want to try and push him, uh, push him and press him to, to get over that next hump and get to the next level. One more question there is schematically, I figure the offense looks similar with Moorhead versus what we saw for years under Dracovic. But the one thing that I guess sticks out as a little different to me is Dracovic ends the year last year with negative 43 rushing yards on the year. Like he was the team's worst rusher, I guess, if you think of it that way. Like, you know, he had negative yards on the years. So that's not great. But the year before, 50 carries for 322 yards, and that's with sacks and everything else included. Like, Dracovic had a, a, a mobility to his game. Is that same mobility there with Moorhead, or is it more of a traditional pocket passer kind of guy where uh, he is not going to be part of the run game as a part of the offensive game plan? If you're going to play quarterback, I think, in 2023, you have to be able to run in some capacity. I think that's the... That's kind of the key. I don't know that he's going to be a, a run-first guy. When you look at his numbers, like he could take off. He's taken, he's taken off and, and and gained 10, 20 yards here and there. But he's not producing, you know, the the positive yardage when you factor in sacks and you know losses and all that other stuff. Uh, but he is. But how you kind of game plan around a quarterback is, I think, probably a bigger answer like when you look at, at the way bc was doing things a couple of years ago when the way they were incorporating the running backs and they were incorporating read option and doing a lot of that i think he's more than capable of doing some of that stuff i think the biggest question or the the bigger question is how the offensive line protects him because that was the bigger problem last year with Djokovic, mm-hmm. uh and and to a lesser degree with moorhead when they were when they were in flex uh in fluxing the the Basically, you were finding an offensive who is who's my healthy offensive lineman this week. You're playing, uh, but the running back situation, the guys like Pat Garwo, like Alex Broom, like Xavier Coleman, those are guys that as they kind of take into the lineup, you don't have to run the read option as much if you're able to charge forward in the good old fashioned ground and pound BC offense. We, 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 you got to get that. You got to get back to that. That's I think the the bigger key is. Can you get back and can you get some of that running game back that was, you know, supercharged over a defensive line? Mm-hmm. As far as strengths of the team go, so I, I want to hone in specifically on the offensive line because, you know, last year 
the line really struggled. This year, you get Christian Mahogany back, first-team All-ACC offensive lineman, future NFL draft pick. Future, he's going to be a very high NFL draft pick. Um, Drew Kendall at center, and then some transfers in the mix, some guys who were thrown into the fire last year. Is this going to turn from a weakness to a strength up front for BC? And irregardless of that, like the strength of the offense is where? Running back? I honestly put it at the offensive line, yeah. uh, and and because everything's going to go based on the line. I think that the running back situation. I think a, a big part of it is that you don't ever know how to read running backs with BC because they've had so many good ones through the years that were playing behind incredible offensive lines. Even if you go back to AJ Dillon, AJ Dillon was a was a was a beast for for BC, and and he was a unique type of athlete he also had a very good offensive line so it was a combination of the two where the line helped make the running game and the running back made the line look very good uh i think if everything comes together at the line that's going to be the biggest key which you mentioned kendall you mentioned the the transfers kyle hergel who is just looks like a guy who's ready to, to go into the trenches and just run over somebody like he that was a guy who his his headshot, he looks like he's ready to block. He, I think he tried to block the camera during the headshot. I don't know. He was, he just looks like an offensive lineman coming in. This is his third stop. He started at North Dakota, Canadian import, uh, went, then went to Texas State. He's worked his way up to be a grad transfer into the ACC, so he's got something to prove. You have guys like Otto Hess who came in very highly touted. Ozzie Trapillo, very highly touted. Jude Bowery played last year because he had to. Uh you know, these are all guys. Jack Conley, who's a who who is a very good offensive lineman. He's developed very well. Like he started, and maybe you're like, all right, do I really want Jack Conley starting? And then he turned into the most experienced offensive lineman and the only guy that came back from that line from a couple of years ago. So when he replaced he replaced Tyler Vrabel, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's your he's your your most experienced lineman, and he's playing all over the place. And he he's he's your leader, and Mahogany's a leader, and. Dwayne Alec had to play last year, so Nick Thomas had to play last year. Jackson Hess, Jackson Ness rather, had to play last year after he converted from the defensive line. So now you have Kevin Klein had to play last year. So these are all guys that that started, came up, maybe didn't have the reps. I've used the term "burn a little sunburn, a little leather skin" on them. Um, they they've got the scar tissue, they've got the bruises, they've got the They've got everything from last year, and now you're running an offensive line out there that's eight, nine players deep, and that is scary when you factor in a team that loves to run the football and maybe finally has a quarterback and a couple of wide receivers to make everything happen. Even though you don't have Zay Flowers, you still have a quarterback and and wide receivers that can make something happen. Regarding the weakness of the team, Dan, if there's somewhere that you know you feel like the team is the most vulnerable, it it sounds like we we feel pretty good about the offense. Am I to think – there's something defensively that we should be concerned about, or is it maybe the receiving core with the loss of, of Zay Flowers, you know, Jalen Gill, some of those guys? We don't know. I think that's the beautiful thing at this point is that you don't really know what the because every single weakness has its positive and every single positive has its has its weakness. Like the wide receivers, you you return Joe Griffin, but you don't have Zay Flowers. Now Zay is unique. Uh, you know, he's he's Ne- they're never going to find another Zay Flowers. But you bring in Ryan O'Keefe, and Ryan O'Keefe is a dangerous weapon. He's a grad transfer. He comes in uh, another Central Florida uh, 
transfer, a Texas guy and, you know, out of, out of Austin, Texas, who went to Central Florida before BC. So, you know, now you have two wide receivers. And Dino Tomlin, who transferred in from Maryland, uh, he made it, he had a little bit of a mini breakout at the end of the year last year. You know, these are all guys that have to, again, take another step. And I think that's the, the biggest part of this is, is can they take the other step? And if they can't and they can't gel, then all of a sudden that's a weakness. Same thing in the defensive backfield where, you know, you have uh, Amari Jackson, you have uh, Cole Batson coming back, you have Elijah Jones, who's an incredible uh, defensive back. But can these guys and can their replacements, after you've lost some some depth there and some starters, some guys like uh, oh I can't remember who it is. Uh, who, he was the Florida State transfer, and this is my old age in the late hours that I can't remember. Um, Hayward. Uh, never mind. We'll we'll come back to that one. But you lose a couple of defensive backs along the way. Same idea. Is it a weakness? Is it a strength? We'll find out early. That's Jeff Halfley's bread and butter. You know, is this the strength of the team? They historically very good at developing this very quickly. We don't know yet, and we don't know what's going to be the positive. We don't know even even the running game. If the offensive, if the running backs aren't as good, then then is that still a negative? Are we not averaging more than two yards a game? Uh, two yards a carry. In some cases, two yards a game. See, see, you know, when you're getting less than 20 yards on the on the ground. So that's not what you want to see, and it'll become very clear in the first couple of weeks what they have and what they want to work on. If BC reaches their ceiling, how did that happen? And if BC hits their floor, how did that happen? I mean, injuries, I don't want to say injuries notwithstanding because injuries are a part of it, and injuries were a significant part of the last two years and why BC has really struggled, so I don't want to just take injuries completely out of it, but, like, assume guys are healthy. Like, is there a group that, you know, would really have to struggle in your eyes for BC to, like, hit a, a perceived floor versus, like, all systems go. This is how they hit their ceiling. I'm just curious, like what the contrast is with with this particular BC team because a lot of turnover on the O line, but there's some ta- you know talent at quarterback. There's some turnover receiver, but there's a lot of talent returning on defense. Like this is an interesting team with with less holes on paper than I think a lot of the teams were previewing that are kind of in that like middle tier of the ACC, in my opinion. Thanks for taking my answer. By the way, what's the what's the biggest that well, everyone gets hurt? Well, well yeah, that's how you hit a floor pretty right. Quick, so yeah, thanks, right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for taking the answer. Yeah, away yeah. <laughs> thanks for putting it. Thanks for putting the white hot spotlight Mark, on me. I really appreciate hey man, that. Mark Mark Packer, from what I hear, threw you a few softballs <laughs> on TV this afternoon. So you gotta oh, get in the hot seat somewhere. Yeah. Oh come on! I love, Mark's such a he's a sweetheart. He's a wonderful human being. Um, the Better than us, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I... I've known I've known you guys a long time. We're not having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's late. Um, you know, I think floor wise, if the line doesn't gel and if the running back situation, like you look at Pat Garwo from two years ago when he was a thousand yard rusher, and that's the that's the guy you want to have. If he doesn't have that that mojo and you don't have a balanced offense. Look, it doesn't matter who's playing. Last year you saw it. When the offense got out of whack, they didn't win football games. And, and BC has not – I was breaking down the numbers uh, 
they've had four 3,000-yard passers in program history. One uh, one of those is Doug Flutie. One of those is Glenn Foley. One of those is Matt Ryan, who has the record because he's the only 4,000-yard season. The fourth is Chase Reddick in 2012 when he threw for 3,000 yards and BC lost 10 games. That's a name so, I haven't thought about in a long time. <laughs> Chase Reddick in, in 2013. Saw him play. Yeah, Chase Reddick in 2013. Okay, in comparison to what it was for, uh, what, what comparison, comparatively speaking, what BC did was in 2013, instead of throwing for 3,000 yards, one year after he threw for 3,000 yards and 17 touchdowns, he threw for 1,900 yards and 17 touchdowns, and he didn't even hit 2,000 yards. And the reason for that was because they were running the football. And now Andre Williams, they were running the football a lot. But I think there's a balance in there, which is if you see a BC team that does not effectively run the football, O-line U, the history of running backs that they've had, it's that's not a good sign. And I don't think that, you know, you're going to be run the ball 300 times. I, I don't think you're going to be, you know, the what what it what it was with A.J. Dillon when you wanted him to touch the ball 35 times a game. I don't know that it's going to be the other way around where you're now you're a fun and gun team. I do think that you need to be somewhere in the middle. And if you can't find that balance, that's going to be a little bit more of an issue. If you do find that balance, this is going to happen really quickly. And it's going to happen in a way that when you look at the way the schedule breaks, you get four of your first five games at home at a time of year when New England is the best best part of the country you know you're in october you only have to go to army like you're only leaving the northeast once before you go to georgia tech and that's your only trip that and louisville are your only trips out of the northeast before veterans day that is favorable for you to be able to stay a little bit well rested get on to a fast start it's got to be critical to get out to a fast start and find that balance as the season gets going Yeah, we'll talk about really the schedule in a leaving. minute. I was gonna say, I don't even think they're leaving Massachusetts, or like New England. I think they're leaving New, uh, like the Northeast, like three times the whole year. I think it's twice. We'll hit on that in a minute with the schedule, because yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's like, oh wow, <laughs> they they have two trips that are more than like an hour and a half flight, probably. But um, in any case, you know, Dan, as we've as we kind of talked about here, you know, one of the things that really caused a lot of issues as the year went on last year were the offensive line issue, issues. And, and I think what you would maybe chalk that up to is a depth concern of we felt pretty good about the offensive line in week one, week two, but guys start falling off, getting injured, and you start playing walk-ons, guys you know, converted from defense. Like It's really not, an, you know, not the situation you were hoping it was going to be in, you know, in July and August. Obviously, you know, we've talked about how that's going to be fixed for this year. Like, you know, the, the, the silver lining of having a bunch of injured offensive linemen is that now you've got a bunch of healthy offensive linemen who all have played plenty of snaps, and that's a big deal. So figuring that the answer here is not going to be offensive line, if there is a unit on this team that you feel like uh, health is of the essence more than any of the others, where would you, where would you say that is for Boston College? You know, I kind of want to go and, and, and hit the linebackers. I, I Like, the linebackers, to me, are 
I feel like I haven't spoken about them anywhere. And, you know, when you look at the at who came back and, and what they have for linebackers, uh, you know, it looks at face value like there isn't a whole lot of experience depth. They did get Vinny De Palma back, which is awesome because he's just one of my favorite interviews of all time. And I think last year before the Rutgers game, I think I had to ask him what was on the De Palma uh, family tailgate and who made the sauce. And we, and we had to have the, the big Italian conversation um, so I could come back to my wife and, and explain how a sauce was made and she could critique it for me. Uh, marry an Italian woman and you and you know that you have lost a lost a battle in there. She, you know, I eat, my my fight against my waistline went out the window when she started putting extra pieces of pork in the sauce. Anyways, this is now a food this is now a food podcast. Um, it always has been. Yeah, um, but when you look at who who they have now, I know when you play kind of with five defensive backs that you sometimes have to go three three five or or four two five or you usually give up something in the linebacker area. So when you, when you play with more safeties or you could play a hybrid safety, but if you understand that Vinny DePalma is going to play one of those, now you have Cam Arnold. Those are two hard-hitting guys. But beyond that, there's a lot of questions that I'd have, which is I know Bryce Steele, a junior, talented, Jalen Blackwell, talented, Owen, Owen McGowan just running down the list. You know, these are all guys that I haven't seen a ton of they have they've obviously played at some point but the question becomes who is the next man up and can they step in because when you look at even the numbers and you look at some of these guys numbers uh even on last year's depth chart like it was it was cam arnold it was bryce Steele, it was vinnie de palma and that was pretty much your i mean cam arnold played one of the two linebacker spots and vinnie De it, he he could play strong side he could play weak side it was not a uh it was not a. It wasn't a whole lot of formula involved with who was playing at your linebacker core. Let's take a quick second to remind you about Section103.com. It is the internet's premier place for all things wonderful, wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. They have T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. They got a couple of three-quarter shirts. They got buttons, stickers, all sorts of things. Thanks for men, women, children. Something for the whole family. Every Georgia Tech fan in your life can use something from Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got some new things all the time coming. Uh, recently came out with some new player shirts. Uh, shirts, you know, shirzies, I guess, as the, as the kids would call them. Uh, things with a logo on the front, a number on the front, and a number on the back, along with a name. they got shirts for both Zach Pyron as well as Dante Smith, who kind of project to be Georgia Tech's starting quarterback and running back this year. So if you want to support those players, I believe they get some NIL money out of it too. So just you know, keep that in mind for what it's worth. Uh, they've got the Junior's Grill shirt. They've got all sorts of great, great products there. They've also recently come out with a clearance section. So if you're looking for some T-shirts or a couple of hoodies for a uh, slightly lower price point, go check out the clearance section. Once again, it is section103.com or at section underscore 103 on Instagram. Give them a follow. Check it out. All things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Again, using the official team colors, the official word marks, everything. It is all officially licensed. It is super comfortable, super high quality. I love mine. You will love yours as well. Check out the performance wear if you're looking for things to keep you cool here during the summer. In any case, one more time, that is section103.com, the Internet's best place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. That's it for now. Let's get back to the show. Let's talk about the schedule, shall we? Why not? So we touched on it briefly a moment ago, and Dan, I think you brought up a really good point. Like, BC doesn't leave the Northeast 
except to go to Louisville on September 23rd before the bye week in mid-October. So they got two road games. One of them is Army. You have an interesting start to the year. Northern Illinois, very winnable game. Holy Cross should be a winnable game, but Holy Cross has a pretty good FCS program and was very good last year. You get them at home in week two right before you play Florida State. And that is a tricky little game there for the second week of the year because all eyes are going to be on Florida State in week three. You may just want to try to roll out your helmets because you got a bigger, you have a huge conference game the following week. And a lot of, a lot of eyes will be on the television for, um, cause Florida state's getting a lot of national TV pub all year this year. Do um, not screw that one up. That, yeah, Dan, let's kind of start there. The Holy Cross game, enlighten those people who were not from the Northeast and don't understand how big that game is, not only for Jeff Halfley, but just in general for for Boston College football. Uh, I'll take you back. I'm going to take you back in time. I'm going to predate both of us here. I'm going to go back to 1980, I think it is, or 1979. That predates me. Yeah, that predates me too. Or it was, I know it was in 1978. That's it. 1978. My uh, my my dad had my brother was born that year. My dad was two years removed from graduating college. Last game of the season, Boston College hosts Holy Cross. Twenty eight thousand one hundred nine people, the most people that BC played in front of the entire season. Uh, I mean, again, the stadium only held I think thirty thousand, and they lost thirty to twenty nine. The next year, turned around, played at Holy Cross out in out in Worcester. 20,000 people were there. 1981, uh, 1980, 27,400. That was a sellout at home. One point win over Holy Cross. 1981, you're starting to get closer to the Flutie era. Sellout crowd. You win that game. And the big one for me is, you know, even as you start to, it, it was always a sellout. The big one for me was in 1984 after Miami. BC had to come home at the start of December and play Holy Cross on the road before a sellout crowd, 25,000 people in Worcester. The, you just beaten Miami in one of the greatest games of all time. There were people stopping on the highway. I-290 runs by Holy Cross. There were people legitimately parked on the highway, like craning into the Fitton Field to try and watch the game. And that was a one of the hottest tickets in, in Massachusetts. And that was... That was the rivalry. Now, Holy Cross, BC split with the, the 1A, 1AA split. Um, Holy Cross joined the Patriot League. It sort of de-emphasized a lot of the – a lot of. They, I don't think they were offering scholarships for about 20-something years. But now that the, the Patriot League has the right amount of scholarships, they immediately jump back onto the BC schedule. And the biggest part of this is that it is a massive game for Holy Cross – I grew up with people who went there who absolutely hate Boston College. Like, it is Army-Navy, the Iron Bowl, good old-fashioned hate. You know, so what, what, you come up with one, that is that is it up here. So you say, all right, they should hypothetically smoke a an FCS team. Like, that's what you want if you're an FBS team and a power team. and a You know, if you're a number one team in the country and you want to be that team, you don't want to go out and, and, and struggle against one of these FCS teams. I always think about Clemson playing the Citadel and eating orange slices or whatever it was that they did at halftime. Like that is what you that is what you want your team to be doing. 
Holy Cross last year had an undefeated season. They went to the FCS playoffs, and I think they lost in the quarterfinals or the semifinals to South Dakota State. This is a very good Patriot League team. It's a very, very good FCS team that is going to come in hungry. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it because it's going to feel like an old-fashioned New England rivalry, at least up until kickoff, and that's where you, you kind of want to see, do I – does it stop at kickoff? And, and if you're a BC fan, you don't want it. You, you just want to make sure that you handle your business in that game. I'm not necessarily looking at the score because Holy Cross is going to come in supercharged. On the back end, you get that game against Florida State. I'm not necessarily worried about any Boston College team overlooking any single opponent. That Jeff Halfley, Jeff Halfley once said, like, you only get, I think it, it actually might have been Steve Adazio who said this. You, you only get 12 of these. You get a finite number. And... It's disrespectful to one game when you only get 12 of these in a single season to look ahead and say, well, we don't care about this game. The minute you start getting into that, you lose the essence of why you play the game, which is to put the uniform on and go out there on a Saturday. So I'm not worried about overlooking an opponent. I'm excited, if for anything, that that Holy Cross is is back to, you know, they've got that they've got the juices going down. Like it's great for Massachusetts. It's phenomenal for the state, although my Eastern Mass bias now has to acknowledge other parts of the state, which is always a always a always a tough call. Uh, but <laughs> September 16th, you get Florida State. If you can get through those two games, those, those first two games, uh, it's going to be exciting. I know that uh, it's my birthday, September 16th. So happy birthday to me. Here's your red bandana game against Florida State. Uh, but it's going to oh, be red a game too. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, and and it is gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome, and that is and that is a a big part of it. Now, before you get into the rest of the schedule, you have to get through those first two to three games, and then if you're if you're cooking, then you've got a favorable lineup coming up on the back end. There, you've got you've got a lot of a lot of chances for people from Massachusetts to go see this team. Um, even the road trips really aren't that bad. I know, I mean, take a Delta flight, you're going to Georgia Tech. I mean, that's it's impossible. Someone once said to me, you fly anywhere in the world on Delta, you're stopping over in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then you have to go to Pittsburgh term. and Syracuse. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up in Atlanta, I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah. <laughs> growing up in Atlanta, I didn't really understand what everyone was all mad about with uh, connecting flights because, like, I never had to take one. But, yeah, it turns out uh, that's not <laughs> – it's not how it goes from uh, every airport everywhere. So, yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing, you know, that you talk about it, and I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it. But, yeah, I mean, you're fi- you have five road games. One of them you're flying to Atlanta. One of them you're flying to Louisville, which is still, like, pretty far north as uh, as things go in the ACC. But the other three games being West Point, being, you know, an hour on your side of New York City – Syracuse being kind of in in Western New York and Pittsburgh, I mean that's <laughs> that is like minimal road trip time. I mean I, I think at least from a, a a distance standpoint and travel fatigue, like this is this is an absolute minimalization for what you'll ever have as at Boston College. I'd have to think. I drove. I've driven to Army and Syracuse and made it a day trip before. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Syracuse was probably a bad idea. Um, uh, fun, fun fact about Syracuse. I actually watched David Ortiz hit a home run against 
the Angels uh, in the 2004 to win the 2004 Division Series on my first trip to Syracuse. It was on the pike. We were stuck in traffic, and I caught it on the back end of a guy's camper um, in traffic. That was that was great. And West Point is probably the greatest road trip anyone can ever take in general. Like that place is just a phenomenal. Like that is everyone should go there once in their life. It's it's an amazing place, and it's only about three hours from from Boston, so it's not it's not terrible. And you know they're not going to put them on a bus for that game, are they? I have no idea. I know that I uh, if you if you do get on a bus, you can't take the merit through Connecticut. Uh, there's no buses allowed. I've I've seen a bus try that. That's a bad idea. Uh, but you you have to go down 95 or 87 or whatever it is that gets you out to the state border. But it's a uh, it's it's easier to get to Highland Falls and in, in, in West Point in New York than it than it probably thinks. It's October too, like. You're overlooking the Hudson. The foliage will be in effect. Like, that's the perfect road trip. And that is, I mean, that's the perfect road trip. That place is is awesome. I can't I can't say enough good things about people making that trip. And especially, hopefully, for BC, coming off four out of five at home to start, you're, you might have a, it might, it, the vibes are there. Like, that's the thing. The vibes are there where if this team gets rolling, there's a lot of opportunity for people to take some really fun road trips and a lot of fun opportunity to see this team. Boston College is one of like several teams in the ACC this year that has questions but has a lot of intrigue because if they put it all together, and this is funny because this, this is how like several of these previews are going and will go as we continue on, Joey. Like A lot of these schedules look favorable because a lot of these ACC teams have a lot of questions. So... If you're not named Florida State and not named Clemson, you got a bunch of questions to answer at like a coaching staff level or with a starting quarterback or with uh, you know a, a defense not being any good. I'm thinking about like North Carolina, obviously, as like Drake May coming back and they have defensive issues, right? For example, but I look at the schedule like we're going to learn a lot about BC in week two. Like if BC is going to be a bowl team or better, they better show up against Holy Cross. I think if they win that game semi-convincingly and kind of they look in control and they win that game by a few touchdowns, I think that's probably a pretty positive sign for the rest of the season. You know, take that Florida State game notwithstanding. This is a relatively easy opening stretch. I mean, that September 23rd game against Louisville coming off of Florida State could be tough. But then you got Virginia... Virginia, I don't think is going to be very good. Army, I think, is definitely a winnable game. Bye week, on the road to Georgia Tech, winnable. UConn, winnable. Syracuse has questions. Virginia Tech has questions, and you get them at home where you play them much better. Pittsburgh has questions. Miami, plenty of questions. And do they have a quit factor in November if their season's not going well? Like... There are a lot of winnable games on. I just like the way the schedule sets up for Boston College more than anything else. My my argument has always been, and this is what happened last year, and and, and I say it every year in general, is that you do have to win your first game before you can focus on your second game. And I know it's super cliche, but everyone last year was talking about the team being a potential eight nine win team, ten win team. You know, Phil Dracovic's back. This is safe flowers. They got this. They got a, a, and then the, and then everything fell apart and everyone got and everyone got hurt now but even before that happened they lost the opening game to Rutgers 22-21 that 
that game, if you flip that one game and, and things change going into Virginia Tech, I don't know how things maybe break down a little bit differently. I don't know that it changes the loss to Clemson. I don't know that it changes the loss to Wake Forest. I don't even know that it changes the UConn game, which was, which was by all accounts, uh, a loss that you didn't want to take under any circumstances. But I know that it fed each week into one week, and that's where you started to see it, which was you lose that opening game to Rutgers, it feeds the, the Virginia Tech game, which then fed the main game, which was which had its own problems in there, and it fed the Florida State game. It, it, Rutgers fed Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech fed Maine. Like, there was a thread going through it. I think that is the biggest part of any football season, and I will argue that forever, is that I hate looking at a schedule and saying, you know, oh, look at that. Look at that ending. You know, things could be, things could be, you could win 11 games on this schedule. You could win 10 games on this schedule. I, I think you got to win the first game. I think you got to beat Northern Illinois at home. And then you got to beat Holy Cross at home. And then after you, you get through Northern Illinois, can you talk about Holy Cross? And there will be a thread that goes through those games, which develops to say, okay, when you come out of Florida State, what are you going to look like for Louisville? When you come out of Louisville, what are you going to look like for Virginia? Can, uh, does Army still run triple option? They still do that, right? Jeff Munkin has... Uh, Munkin's kind of trying to... He's trying to can it because they're the whole cut block rule oh, going, yeah. Uh, yeah. going into effect. He's trying to transition out of it. Remember, remember when he was like... Thing too. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. Uh, remember, yeah, I agree. Remember when he said? Remember when he said, "Can I throw the ball less than zero? <laughs> Times have changed because yeah. he realized he can't say that for other jobs. <laughs> to Joey's I lo- point, I love, I love Jeff Munkin, um, but I love and and I, I look West Point is I lo- I love that place. I love I love everyone down there. Um, that is, but what kind of team are you going to look like even going into the Army game if you're you know, things are like everyone's hoping for. I know what you're hoping for, and I know what you're trying to extrapolate and see if you're looking at this BC team. But you can't look at Army. You can't even look at UConn until you get through. You can't even look at Holy Cross yet until you get through Northern Illinois. And I think that is one of those things that BC has really preached in the in the preseason during media day in particular. Uh, and I believe that is something that they are going to embrace. I tend to embrace it every year. But I think that there's something that you're seeing more and more and more and more out of this team. I'm gonna I'm gonna call out one quirk, Mike, and then I'm gonna ask one question about the schedule, and then we can hit records a little bit. The quirk yep. that I think is interesting is that this team will not play road games in back-to-back weeks, which is a good thing from yep. a sequencing, a fatigue standpoint through the season. That's a good thing. They do play two road games in a row at Army and then at Georgia Tech, but there's a bye week in between, so you get that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it is. Otherwise, th- there are no back-to-back road games, which helps, A. B, the thing I wanted to ask you about, Dan, has there been any uh, special discussion, chatter, anything about that uh, Thursday night, November game on the road against Pittsburgh where they will see old friend Phil Dracovic coached <laughs> by old friend Frank Signetti, it, what the, the, the venue formerly known as Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, taking on the Panthers. Uh, I'm sure as that week gets started, there will be a, uh, 
there will be questions. No one's really no one's really mentioned it, I think, on either side yet, at least from what I've read. Um, I, I if I had to guess and, and knowing knowing how even in the media how we all felt about Phil and how we all felt especially about Frank. Frank was is I'll never forget getting ready to go to, I think it was Clemson and Frank, uh, I asked, I was like, what? I heard the music coming out over the reservoir and I was like, who had control of that one? And it was Frank Signetti blasting, you know, Guns N' Roses. And I'm like, this is my people. This is my people with the Guns N' Roses and ACDC on the, uh, on the volume control. But, um, I'm sure Wednesday that game, uh, of that week, um, will be smiles. I'm sure Friday will be smiles. I'm sure even Thursday morning, over breakfast with a cup of coffee, uh, you're you're hoping to smile, but Thursday 7 p.m. Um, you don't smile at them anymore, and you have to go out and it's a business trip, and you have to go out and beat uh, what could be a very good Pittsburgh team because Pittsburgh is a very good program, and you have to. And at that point, you're going to have to go out and beat them, and then on Friday, hopefully, you get to smile at them and say, "Got that one." I think well. Joey and I have talked about, not to totally derail this, he brought up Pittsburgh, but like Joey and I have been critical of Pat Narduzzi in the past, and now we're starting to think that Pittsburgh might just be the bar. We're like, <laughs> they're starting to win a lot of six and seven games without even really having the personnel to do it. And it's like, well, Narduzzi seems to really know what he's doing here, um, which was in question there for a few years. And then post-Pickett, like, he's still figuring it out a little bit. How many teams do we have in the ACC that get ranked on an annual basis, and Pittsburgh was one of them? Um, that, I think, is the is the key. When you're looking at which teams are ranked and which teams are not, uh, there's not usually a whole lot of respect at the end of the year to the parity and toughness of the ACC. I say that... Um, you know, understanding what the detracting arguments are, but yet you had three teams ranked and one of them was Pittsburgh. So, and the only team in the old coastal division. So, you know, that is a, in the reconfigurement of the schedule, BC got Pittsburgh on an annual basis. Uh, I'm looking forward to an old Northeast, Big East rival. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you realize that, all right, you, you don't have to play Clemson and Florida state every year, but Pittsburgh's kind of good. Like Pittsburgh is a good team and Miami yep. always is kind of a good team and it's not going to be, you know, Oh good. We don't have to play NC state, Florida state and uh, Clemson anymore. No, you're still going to get someone and they're going to be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am going to miss Virginia tech on an annual <laughs> basis though. <laughs> I think you might be the only one from what I can tell. Like <laughs> And Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech fans don't really have a problem with Boston College, like as a school. It's not like this. I mean, Dan can speak to this too. It's not like this is like a like outside of the Matt Ryan game in '07. There's not like a like huge rivalry anymore with like VT and Boston College. Tech fans are just so annoyed of like, God, we got to play BC again. Like we got to go Chestnut Hill again. Like. We have to open the season in Chestnut Hill, like, uh, what was that, three or four years ago now? We have to open the season in Chestnut Hill? Like, I, fans just got exhausted with it. And then they see frustration, the schedule rotations. Frustration born from apathy, basically. Like, yeah. why are we playing them again? Like, we and, then it stems, and then it stems from the Matt Ryan knocking Tech out national title contention. 
all those years ago, you know, 16 mm-hmm. years ago, whatever it was. I, I will never forget. I, uh, I will just never forget the 2013 season when Virginia Tech came up and it was in no, early November and the uh, and a, a, like it was a legitimate question from a Virginia Tech fan, and he was like, "Hey, I'm not like, where is everyone right now? Like, it was kickoff, and the stadium was relatively like tame, and he was like, where is everyone? Because this is like, this is kind of a like, it's it's 12 o'clock on a Saturday game, and I was like, oh, they're all in, they're all up the street because of the uh, it was the World Series parade that day." So that game was that game was opposite, and I was like, uh, "Yeah, the Red Sox won the World Series two days ago, and it was kind of the most important sporting event possibly in the city's history after everything that happened that year." And I was, yeah. was like, "Yeah, no, that's probably a good reason." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just remember looking at him, and he was like, "Yep, nope, that's a good reason. We'll move on now." <laughs> yep. Dan, I'm going to try to ask you this question in a way that I can get an answer, but also not get you fired. Um, that's always nice, huh? <laughs> You're a respectable human being, Joey. My service to you, Dan. I'm going to try to not get you fired on my podcast. Uh, as far you know, I know that I can't just ask you to pick a record for for the Eagles this fall. Twelve and I think they're going to win every week. <laughs> you heard it here first, Mike. Mike, what you got him going? Like, <laughs> no, yeah, um, right. yeah. Well, that's it. We're done. Okay. I, is there? Um, let me think how I want to put this. Uh, is, is there a way, or is there a certain point? You know, what would uh, Mike help me out here? What do I, how do we want to ask this? Uh, should we expect Boston College to go to a bowl game this year? Or like, I think I think honestly, history would show that you should. Uh, like that was uh, okay. that's always been my argument about B- BC has not missed many bowl games. Now I understand when you look at it, recent history with they the play a bowl game. Uh, you know, twenty two didn't play. Uh, twenty two they didn't. They were was was last season, so that was three and nine didn't were bowl ineligible. 21, the game got canceled due to COVID. There was a COVID outbreak or there was COVID something involved that canceled the game after they were down there at, at the military bowl against uh, against ECU. 2020, you opt out of a bowl game altogether. So you went in 2019 and you lost pretty bad to Cincinnati. 2018 was Thunder Bowl down there in, in Dallas, uh, the first responder bowl. Um, quick shout out to the fact that the Surf Pro first responder bowl Surf Pro, like it never happened, and the game was canceled in the first quarter. Um, but that was a, uh, which has always been kind of my running joke, that BC was winning, so they were the Surf Pro first responder bowl champion that year. Um, but, they, I mean, if you look at history, it, it shows that BC, for the most part, has been a team that can get to a postseason game. And you ask yourself, is that all you want to be? Well, the answer is no. But you also don't want to be a team that misses a postseason game. So based on that, you can assume, you can expect, you can talk about, and then kind of slot yourself in from there based on what happens. But I think that's always going to be something that you can expect from BC, and and it should be something that people want to expect. I'm not someone who wants to talk about the number of bowl games and everything that goes along with it, but it is what it is, and it's better to get to a game than it is to not get to a game for a number of reasons. So based on history, you can say bowl, BC, 
hey, we'll we'll find a we'll find a destination. Maybe maybe it's the Fenway Bowl. Who knows? <laughs> That'd be funny. I laugh at that every time. I'm like, can they project them to the Fenway Bowl? I can go to that one. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't have I don't have to leave my children. Is yeah. daycare open that day? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't have to leave my children around the holidays. Yeah, I was gonna say like they don't really BC doesn't really go on many road trips, and then to play in the Fenway Bowl would be like the cherry on top on the schedule. Um, I would giggle. I would giggle. I'm gonna give you a record prediction, shall we? Mm-hmm. Oh, and Dan, of course. Um. I'll share. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go six. I'm gonna go six and six. I think. I. Um, I just like the way this lay. This is laid out. You know. I just think that uh, BC has got questions like every other ACC team, but and and you know asking BC to make a jump to seven or eight wins after winning three last year. I understand injuries were a key factor, right? But there's some roster turnover there too, and it's some uncertainty with you know how guys perform. But you know, I think September, September looks tough on paper. Um, Northern Illinois is winnable, but like we're gonna learn a lot about the BC team against Holy Cross. Florida State, Louisville back to back is tough, right? I think if you split, if you split there, obviously there, I don't think they're gonna be Florida State. So really, like if you go on the road and beat Louisville, which it looks like a tough, a real tough game, especially coming off the back of Florida State. But I'm not as high on Louisville as a lot of like media is. I like Jeff Brom. I think it's a perfect fit. I think it'll work. You know, you never know. Like Scott Frost was a perfect fit. Nebraska didn't work. You just never know. I think Brom's a good coach. Uh, you know, they're starting Jack Plummer, a quarterback. Like, are we are we absolutely sure this is going to go well? Like, we don't know. But after that, like, UVA, very winnable at home. At Army, very winnable. Bye week. At Georgia Tech, very winnable. UConn, I, I, get, I get it, right? I, I know the UConn game did not go as planned, but, like, it's UConn. So should be okay, I think. With this version of Boston College, it should be okay, I think. And then the closing stretch, you know, there are winnable games there. You know, Syracuse, winnable. Syracuse has a lot of questions. Virginia Tech's got a lot of questions. Pitt, I agree with you guys. Like, Pitt's going to be tough. I Let's see how Miami's playing going into that final game of the year before we write BC off in that game. And that says more about probably Miami than Boston College. So I'm not too concerned. I know we started the podcast asking about Jeff Halfley's job security. I think they get back to a bowl game. Um, I just think that there are too many teams with a lot of holes on the schedule. Somebody in the ACC in that middle tier has to make a bowl game. Like Somebody's got to win six. Mm-hmm. And I just think that BC's got a lot coming back, and they're healthier on the offensive line. I just think they have less questions than some of these other middle-tier ACC teams that are just in that, like, anywhere from, like, four to seven wins, and there's a lot of them. And I think BC has less questions than I think a lot of people think. So I think they can get to six. Maybe more, maybe less, but I'm six and six, stamp it. That's my 
I, I'm with you. Before before you even said it, that's kind of where I was thinking was six and six. And yeah, I, I look at this. There's there's things. You know, there's there's two games here that I don't feel great about. And it's Florida State. Obviously, I'm probably going to pick them to win the league. Um, I think they're a playoff contender. I, that's a that's a really tough spot, even getting them at home. And then after that, going on the road to Louisville. I think getting that at home, I would feel maybe a little differently about. But going on the road for that game, not ideal. But the other 10 games on the schedule, I mean, for a combo of just you know who they are and kind of what they're going to be going into this year, it's not a single one of those games that I look at and it's like, oh, that's going to be that's going to be brutal for Boston College. Like every single one of them is, is winnable, is some some variation of coin flip. Um, I think this is something that happens when you have an out-of-conference schedule where I, I would be surprised and disappointed if they were less than 3-1 and one against Northern Illinois, Holy Cross, UConn, all at home, and then on the road against Army. Army. Um, I mean, that's a pretty forgiving out-of-conference schedule. And then, like you said, I mean, some of the sequencing works, too. I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned the Louisville thing. You get that early, which I think is where you want to get them. Yep. You get... Syracuse late, which is where you want to get them. You get Miami late, which is where you want to get them. Um, I, I just think this whole thing kind of lends itself pretty well to where if they do lose those two games to Florida State and Louisville back to back, I mean, can they can they go six and six and four in the other ten games? I, yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? And a team with the offensive line depth that we've kind of talked about, you know, a returning quarterback in Emmett Moorhead. Um, I, I, I think it's and, – and, and really the thing that, Dan, you kind of alluded to is this Boston College team historically has always needed to be able to run the ball. And last year the, they were not able to do that with any level of consistency, but it was all in the offensive line, injuries and, and youth and inexperience. And if that is no longer – not only no longer a problem, but even like kind of a strength of the team this year – I think this is probably getting back to those six-win Jeff Halfley teams that we saw the first two years of his tenure. Um, so, yeah, I, I would tend to think that, you know, if, if they came in any less than five and seven, I would be kind of shocked. Um, yeah, unless, me too. Again, unless there was some crazy injury stuff, you know, Emmett Moorhead hurt in the first game of the season or something like that, you know, God forbid. I guess my my argument, just to throw just to throw in there on something, is always the – is always the what you want to build towards. And and I think that everybody knows that the, the goal is always to build towards uh, you know, being one of those one of those top two teams at this point. And the ACC is going to look very different when with the single league format. Uh, you know, it's not going to be as obvious when a team breaks out from the pack or, or when a team doesn't because it's the top two that go. So you're not going to have one of those teams anymore that that just gets red hot and then go. You're not going to have coastal chaos. You're not going to have the the team that gets red hot in October and then all of a sudden get, winds up in a in a spot where it can play for an ACC championship. You're going to need to consistently be good from start to finish in the ACC, or else you're you're going to wind up like one of those 87, 88 win teams that played in Major League Baseball back in the 1980s when you only had two divisions. And I think that's what you need to look at what you're building towards, which is, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like the 87 Yankees that finished 10 games out but had 90 wins and were a non-factor. You know, the, if those of us of a certain age remember what that was like for a reason. Um, I think what you're building towards and what you're looking to build towards, you go in and you try to find your way. I think it's going to make it much easier to focus on your immediate opponent. I think this goes across the board for all 14 teams. 
I think you're going to be way more focused on your immediate opponent because it's not going to be, all right, if we beat NC State and Wake Forest loses to Syracuse, then we got a shot at this bowl game or we finish second or this game knocks us out. It is now you got to win and you got to win this week. And I think for all 14 teams, that's a the win now mentality. It's just going to be it's going to it's going to be a lot of fun because these teams are going to have to bring it to catch Clemson and Florida State at the top, too. So it's all about what you're building towards and what you want to be and maybe surprise some folks along the way and see where the chips land. But uh, like I said, it's got to be 12, one and zero expectations of how you go about your preparation. I think did I wiggle said it, out of that. Did, did I wiggle that out of, out of that well enough for you? I, I know every year this is the fun competition for us is how I get to wiggle out of this. I think you did fine. No worse than the last five years. Every year it's like we're deeper into a college degree of how to not answer these questions, but still give an answer. Like it's, it's, it's increasingly more, uh, you know, more impressive every year. This is, this is the, the ACC. If you can predict anything, uh, I've, I, I need, I need your, I need your Powerball numbers. Like if you can predict anything, this <laughs> yeah, league is this league is is gonna be fun, and I can't wait for the single division format. I think it's gonna be chaos from the start, and I am so pumped for it. You're taking a league with parity, and you're putting everybody in the same division. That's gonna be great. How many years in a row was the media prediction for the ACC Coastal winner wrong? I mean, it was like it was like nine years was... in a row the media missed. Like it was like it's impossible. Yeah, and there were seven seven straight uh, division like new division winners. Mm-hmm. All, every team won it within seven years. It was incredible. <laughs> yep, yep. New team every year. Never the same team twice. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Insane. Yep. Mike, that's all I got for Dan. Anything else while we got him? Long live the coastal. Long live the Coastal. Good way to end the Boston College podcast there, Mike. Nothing else for Dan. Yeah. Long live the Coastal. BC's in the Atlantic. Playing five (laughs) games this year against former Coastal teams. Basically the Coastal. Basically long live the Coastal times two. (laughs) Dan, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. You want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? Yeah, of course. BCEagles.com at BC Dan Rubin. Also, uh, Hosted podcast last year at uh, at the podcast for Boston with uh, with Scott Mutrin for the podcast we uh, we broke down BC it was a it was a lot of fun uh, my favorite part two 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 quick stories that are always my favorite part was one because Scott played and was like a very very highly touted very decent quarterback uh, as I like to say to him was uh, listening to him talk football with people who actually play the game like receivers, offensive position skill guys. At some point, you're just like, nope, I didn't play. I'm going to sit back and I have, I'm just going to watch this develop because you guys are speaking at a level that is way over me until we got an offensive lineman on and we got to talk about the amount of cup of coffees that they had. And that was, we were five seconds into an interview and I was just like, I'm home. I am home with my offensive lineman. So... Catch that on all of your streaming right after you listen to right right at right before you listen to Joey and Mike right before and then right <laughs> after you listen to me on the way to work and then on the way home you listen to them and then watch the hit for Mark Packer. 
<laughs> I'm never going to hear. I'm never going to hear the end of this from you, am I? You're famous now. <laughs> that was when I tell you. When I tell you, that was probably like that was great. I cannot tell even begin to how how excited I was for that, and I I mean that wholeheartedly. Like that was, I felt like I was being made. That was. <laughs> they were they they were so nice. That was that was awesome. That was that's it. I'm good. I was on television. <laughs> my that wife, says it all. my wife can walk in. My wife could walk into the house and watch me watching myself. You know, one day we could. We, well, I'm just sitting here thinking. You know, one day we could do a power ranking of uh, which of our wives think we're the coolest. Because you might have me beat Dan. My wife knows I'm not cool. Like, no, no, God, no. The only thing I will say, only credit I will give to. Uh, well, I give Mrs. Rubin a lot of credit, but um, is during hockey season because I was uh, I broadcast for her alma mater. And when we were at a hockey game, she brought the kids and was chasing them around. And our daughter ran right into the Hall of Fame reception in, like, the high donor area. And she just <laughs> marched in there <laughs> after her and was like, you know what? That's – thanks. But we got the picture. That was the important thing. We got the That's picture. Right. That's what matters. That's what matters. Yep. And, and the picture was for me, not for her. That was my <laughs> picture that I wanted of us in the press box together. That's awesome. Dan, this has been awesome. Appreciate it so much. Uh, you, you, you're welcome back anytime. We need to have you back on as soon as we can get you back. How's that? I, I This is a dad podcast. I will come here for therapy with you guys. It is always a pleasure to see your smiling faces. This is uh, We go back a long time, and I can't believe that we're actually like growing up with kids now. <laughs> yeah. We're old. <laughs> yeah. This Washed. is us. No doubt. Yes. Washed. No doubt. Dan, thank you so much. We'll have you back on sometime soon, all right? Sounds good, guys. Love you guys. Love you, brother. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on Boston College. Let's get out of here. We're going to come back, preview some more teams. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI together at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, go find Dan Rubin at BC Dan Rubin, all one word. Uh, Rubin, R-U-B-I-N. There, So go find him for all your Boston College coverage. Once again, he's at Eagles Unlimited at bceagles.com. Uh, we're also on iTunes, Spotify, all the good places you can find your podcasts. Uh, go find us on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash at bcpodcastacc. Uh, we appreciate all the people that got us to uh, 100 subscribers last, week, last year. That was awesome. Uh, Mike, where else are we on the social medias? High bar to clear. Um <laughs> <laughs> In, in year seven. This is year seven of the podcast, right? I think so, yeah. Also, I yeah. got the URL for YouTube wrong, by the way. Uh, it's <laughs> YouTube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Scott's going to just murder you. Uh, uh, yeah, Scott's going to kick me off the show. Um, <laughs> we're also on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Uh, find some of the podcasts there. <laughs> we're on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Do it for the gram. And, uh, oh, also send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address, no demand basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Don't think so. You want to preview some more teams? Yeah. I got to talk to you about after this. Oh boy. That'll be fun. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Mr. Dan Rubin, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Go Eagles, and until next time, go ACC.